Hello, this is Josh, and we are going to continue in our sixth part working through Father Martin Laird's A Sunlit Absence. When I talked with Father Laird, his question was why I'm journeying with you through the second book and why I didn't start with the first one. In my estimation, the first book is the more difficult. And my hope is that if working through volume two is a good experience for you, that you'll want to go back and work through volume one. And in a sense, Father Laird needed to work through the difficulties of contemplation more thoroughly to build a solid foundation in the first book. And here in the podcast, I am instead pivoting off of some sort of shared tacit trust that this is a prayer worth growing in and learning about. And, and here's one maybe consoling idea for you if you are struggling to come to a kind of uh, functional grasp of what contemplation is. We want to say again that prayer is not something that we learn from a book anyway. Prayer is not something that a podcast can teach you. What the books, what the podcast, what a spiritual director can do is offer you some vocabulary that bears witness to the true reality of what the Holy Spirit might teach you when you actually pray. So I've worked with the first book inside of the prison and outside of the prison and both groups needed to read that first book a second time. And some of my friends have read it a second time and a third time. And uh, this is interestingly the introduction to St. John of the Cross's Ascent of Mount Carmel, he says very frankly in his introduction to that amazing book that's changed my life, he says, you know, please bear with me as you work through this, you won't understand this until you see the whole of the book as a complete story, as a complete idea. So you'll need to go back and read it again. Because right now what we're saying is that the way we've read other books to read a book and to say that we're done with it and that I have consumed the information and now I'm complete uh, I'm ready to go that's that's not the posture we're able to take here with contemplative prayer so if you are still scratching your head or if you're just now diving into this podcast and this journey it's not too late it'll never be too late with that said, I really want to um, get on the same page with you in terms of our schedule with uh, Father Laird, our, our scheduling our time with him. Uh, I believe that it will probably be at the end of June, just in a couple weeks. So I will put together some sort of a form for you to fill out to give me your email and name and your level of interest so that when I finally get those dates and times set up, you can be sure to be notified. So if you've not already subscribed to The Invitation, please do so by going to invitationpodcast.org. And I will be placing it as a pop-up on that website, another little opportunity for you to specifically sign up for this conversation with Father Laird. It's going to be questions and 
answers, a Q&A session. So as you're reading along, as you're listening to me, as you're attempting your practice, write down some questions and join with us, with him, and you can ask this man your questions on on your own. Um, so let's go to our practice. I invite you to calm yourself. This is the interesting and bewildering idea of prayer, is knowing how much control we do have over our minds and our hearts and our bodies, and then coming to terms with how much control we do not have. We do what we can with what we have today, trusting that in these efforts, we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We cannot simply tell ourselves to stop thinking thoughts. As Teresa Vila has said, Father Laird had noted this in the first, I think in the introduction that Teresa says, as soon as we attempt to tell ourselves to stop thinking thoughts, that's a sure opportunity to begin thinking lots of thoughts. So the only way to wordless prayer is through rest. So we work through the things that are concerning us. We work through the things that are preoccupying us, whether they're good or bad. We notice them. We sit with these things. We say thank you. We say help. And the skill we're learning here is posture. We want to be in a posture physically where we're able to rest, but not such a reclined posture that we might fall asleep. And we're simply for the Jesus prayer, praying the sacred name of Christ, saying the name of Jesus with our breath, breathing out Jesus. and then breathing in Jesus. Breathing out Jesus. Breathing in Jesus. And each time you breathe in and out, you are sinking into this holy name, into this holy space. The kingdom of God is within you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter teaches us that we are partakers of the divine nature. We can take in the life of Christ. As Jesus says, we can eat his body and drink his blood. We're consuming and putting on the life of Christ. Saying out the name of Jesus. 
Breathing in Jesus. And even as your mind is distracted by something else, as it flits away, we notice those distractions. We do not judge ourselves and get upset with these distractions. We just use this as a new opportunity to return to our rest. Amen. So we're finishing up chapter two here. And I wanted to draw your attention to a favorite part here on page 39. It's at the bottom of that page. Father Laird is citing St. Hesychios. The Hesychian tradition is a tradition within the school of contemplative prayer. The Hesychian idea is that we come to a place of silence and wordless there. Um, Hesychios is especially interested in wordless prayer. You can find his writings in the Philokalia, which is a multi-volume set now. It's a collection of the Eastern Orthodox tradition's teachings on the Jesus prayer, on the inner life the inner movements. And even as I say inner life, <clears throat> one uh, masterful teacher who's still alive that teaches these things, Callistos Ware, Father Callistos Ware says, we don't have a prayer life as if prayer is a specific subset of our existence. It's that we pray so that we become prayer. That's a, a good summary of the school of Hesychios. And here on page 39, Father Laird quotes Hesychios. Though addressing monks in his own monastery, St. Hesychios speaks to all of us on the contemplative path when he says, one who has renounced such things as marriage, possessions, in other worldly pursuits is outwardly a monk, but may not be a monk inwardly. Only the person who has renounced obsessive thoughts is a true monk. That's what we're working against here, is obsessive thoughts. I'm going to turn to part of chapter 2 that deals with anger. And I think this is very timely for us. If we get on social media, the news, even if we talk to our neighbors, the obsessive thoughts right now are anger and rage. And I don't want to say that there's nothing to be angry about. I don't want to say that there is nothing in our country that's worth our rage. I want to say that if we become obsessed with our anger, if we become possessed with our rage, then I want to suggest that's the sin. The same breath, there's nothing wrong with sadness. We are called to practice lament in our Christian tradition, to speak honestly with God. 
But there's a difference between sadness, lament, and then the sin of despair. We can be righteously angry with the racism in our culture, in our country, in the racism in myself, because I am moving towards healing, because I believe in a God who is also grieved by this sin and is a God who came to be with us in the midst of this and to draw us out of it and to redeem us of this. So let's look at Blind with Anger on page 32, and we will unpack our obsessive thoughts, our obsessive preoccupations. Evagrius helped lead another student into liberating insight into the nature of her very active mind, especially the connection between her anger and her fear. While she was less revealing of the details of her struggles, she was grappling with the fallout and follow-through of an intervention initiated by concerned friends. She admits it needed to be done, but she still struggles with feelings of betrayal and more. She wrote, Evagrius seems to know that as much as our mind-tripping on inner videos causes suffering, we somehow find them fascinating, and so we have to be careful. He says the demons use vivid images for this combat, quote, and we run to see them, end quote. Intellectually, I understood that my friends were trying to help me, but the thought that they betrayed me gets me mind-tripping on self-pity, and I almost always just go with it. If I can see myself as being a victim, I can more easily stay in denial of the issues that concerned my friends. In a weird sort of way, being this victim was more comforting than the fact that my behavior was making me ill and that my friends thought they needed to let someone know. I can see that I do this. This mind-tripping, what Evagrius calls, quote, passions, stirred up by a thought or image, can actually make us sick, not just spiritually, but mentally and physically as well. If we're not careful, he says, quote, under the influence of this part of our soul, we then grow unhealthy while our passions undergo a full-bodied development, end quote. Anger, resentment, self-pity can even make you completely crazy, quote, those who long for true prayer but are given over to anger or resentment will be beside themselves with madness. They are like someone who wants to see clearly but keeps scratching her eyes, end quote. I don't know if Evagrius came up with the phrase, quote, blind with anger, end quote, but he basically says it, quote, resentment blinds the reason of one who prays and casts a cloud over prayer. I just want to read that again. That's such a great, great line from Evagrius. Quote, resentment blinds the reason of one who prays and casts a cloud over prayer. End quote. Blinded as I may be by my anger, all this mind-tripping seems very real at the time. Evagrius says, quote, These things are depicted vividly before our eyes. 
the most fierce passion is anger. It constantly irritates the soul, and above all, at the time of prayer, it seizes the mind and flashes the picture of the offensive person before one's eyes. End quote. The purpose of all this mind-tripping is to keep us from going deeper within where God dwells. Quote, to cease to pray so that we might not stand in the presence of the Lord our God, not dare to raise our hands in supplication to one against whom we have had such frightful thoughts. End quote. Another thing that Evagrius has taught me is how closely related are anger, fear, and pain. The more fear, the more anger. Evagrius seems to say this. He defines anger as, quote, boiling up and stirring up wrath against one who has given inquiry, end quote. I found this statement very helpful. I always thought of my anger as a response to something or someone who had offended me. But Evagrius suggests that anger is a response to pain, to being hurt. If I learn how to handle pain better, I might learn how to handle anger better. But what I find most helpful is the link he establishes between anger and fear. I have recently realized that anger and fear are closely related. In psychology class, we learned about the fight flight response. But Evagrius sees that anger can sow seeds of fear or can somehow turn into fear. Quote, images of a frightful kind usually arise from anger's disturbing influence, end quote. I've always known that I struggle a lot with fear, but have only recently come to see that when I'm very angry, I will wake up afraid. Father Laird comments here, this is at the bottom of page 34, in the abstract, spirituality may sound especially attractive nowadays when it is not only quite trendy, but can also be supported by over-the-counter supplements that are sure to work synergistically with it. But embarking on any spiritual path will soon involve us in an interior battle, a battle, quote, fought on the field of thought more severe than which is conducted in the arena of things and events, end quote. The problem is the noise in our heads. This is why the great spiritual masters offer practical advice on how to deal with our reactions to our thoughts and feelings, for reacting to them generates the inner video this inner video can become our predominant experience of inner life. Continuing on here, 
clinging to distraction like a dog to a bone. Evagrius and others have a psychological description of how these inner videos are generated. There is within us a sort of mental craving that is fragmented and frayed. Pathos was the Greek word he often used, with the result that we are nearly always either grasping at something or pushing it away and find it very difficult to receive with open palms of simple gratitude. What happens when this mental craving grasps some thought or image? The videos are produced and, quote, we run to see them, end quote. St. Hesychios says, quote, as soon as this thought appears in our intellect, our thoughts chase after it and become embroiled with it, end quote. It should not be underestimated how quickly this happens. You can be perfectly content with your Mac PowerBook. This is it. It's everything you could want in a computer. And so you massage your budget to manage this purchase. Now you've just seen MacBook Air. This is it. Such simplicity of line. It fits into a manila envelope. It's everything you could want in a computer. So it goes, and we find ourselves returning to the Apple store like a dog to a fire hydrant. Analysis of the lightning-quick subtleties of chatter-fueled distraction and its ability to split, fray, and not desire is typical of the desert psychology of the early Christian centuries, Though the language and perspective may at times seem dated, the dynamics are strikingly accurate. Someone, for example, turns down your invitation to dinner, and immediately a stream of inner commentary breaks loose. Quote, They don't like me, I suppose. Nobody likes me. I've never had any true friends my whole life. Not ever. I'll never ask anyone over again. End quote. Somebody walks into a room carrying a Gucci bag that you yourself cannot afford but crave nonetheless, and immediately the mind comments, quote, doesn't she look silly carrying that thing? Oh, just look at her. What on earth does she think that she's doing with that? End quote. The inner chatter is not only concerned with silly things, it can generate quite a lot of suffering. This suffering requires mental noise to make it seem real, and soon we've given it the keys to the car. Mental craving acts like a whisk that quickly froths things up into foamy obsession. Evagrius famously says in his Practicos that this can happen in one of eight ways, or a combination thereof. The eight afflictive thoughts are gluttony, impurity, avarice, sadness, anger, acedia, vainglory, and pride. In other writings, he mentions anxiety, envy, judgmentalism, and resentment as well. It is never a question of somehow managing never to have any of these kinds of thoughts. It is subtler than that. Evagrius is suggesting that there are certain areas of life where obsessive patterns tend to occur. Some pertain to more basic things, 
such as anxiety over our material welfare, gluttony or avarice, for example, while others pertain to a more rational dimension, such as anxiety over what people think of us, which is vainglory. He pinpoints certain areas of life in which inner noise, anxiety, confusion are frothed up by the mind's whisk with the result that we become out of touch with reality. If we are out of touch with reality, we are at the same time out of touch with ourselves, with others, and with God. Evagrius sees our relationship with food to be one such area, but it has much more to do than merely with what we eat. If we think for a moment how obsessed our culture is with how our bodies appear to others, this does not seem to be far-fetched. And when our life coaches and personal trainers shore up their salaries by telling us how good we look, the nostrils of our gratitude flare condescendingly at all those mountainously overweight people. Quote, haven't they ever looked in a mirror? End quote, we ask ourselves. It's easy to see what Evagrius is getting at when he says these afflictive thoughts can team up with each other. So let's pause for a moment. I want to invite you, even in the midst of this study and reading, to open yourself to the work of the Spirit, what is moving inside of you as you read this passage with me. The most effective way I know to get at our obstacles to contemplative prayer is simply to notice our distractions, our preoccupations. We're not trying to judge ourselves for having these preoccupations. We're simply trying to notice them and to know that there is help beyond them. That's why we go to a posture of repose and trust and silence. And in that move from the inner chatter, whatever the object is, whether it's our fears, our anger, our lusts, no matter what it is, we turn to silence as an act of trust and surrender, believing that there's help. So we're going to finish this chapter by turning to page 41. Skipping ahead, Father Laird writes, We might well wonder, am I somehow at fault for having all these distractions? The wisdom of the desert takes a rather practical approach to this question. It is not in our control whether these videos play. Quote, it is not in our power to determine whether we are disturbed by these thoughts. End quote, says Evagrius. However, this does not mean we have no recourse but to be chained as prisoners in the cave of this cinema for the rest of our days. 
Evagrius insists that, quote, it is up to us to decide if they are to linger within us or not, and whether or not they are to stir up our obsessions, end quote. If met correctly, that is, with stillness and not commentary, they end up proving a valuable contribution to our training in the spiritual arts of awareness and stillness. As the distance runner does not grow in strength and endurance without a challenging terrain, or the pianist in stamina and skill without a challenging score, neither does the person of prayer deepen in freedom, wisdom, and compassion without these trials. As St. Isaac of Nineveh puts it, quote, Without temptations, God's concern is not perceived, nor is freedom of speech with him acquired, nor is spiritual wisdom learned, nor does the love of God become grounded in the soul. End quote. Whether we live in a monastery or not, the grip of our inner videos have on us must be loosened. Awareness and stillness are skills we cultivate to allow this to take place. The result is that our minds will be clearer and more silent. One of the most debilitating results of the spiritual fragmentation that has plagued Christianity in the last several centuries has been the opposition of the contemplative life to the active life. Both individuals and communities happily enjoy this schizophrenia. One of the earlier realizations of the life of stillness is that the opposite of the contemplative life is not the active life, but the reactive life. Highly habituated emotional styles and lifestyles that keep us constantly reacting to life like victimizing victims, ever more convinced that the videos that dominate and shape our awareness are in fact true. The life of stillness gradually heals this split and leads us into wide open fields where buried treasure lies, Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Fields where the soul can, quote, bathe in its own space, end quote, end quote, make long swaths in meadow lengths of space, end quote. The God we seek already shines through our eyes. May our seeking not blind us to what already lies, quote, hidden in plain sight all around us, end quote. So it's not that God is not with you. It's not that God is not speaking to you. It's not that God is not revealing his love and grace, truth and mercy to you. It's that you and I are both often so distracted by these videos, this mind tripping, consumed with our anxious thoughts and distracted so once again, prayer is not so much about getting God's attention as it is about God getting our attention. So I invite you as we bring this time to close, to surrender yourself one more time, to keep yourself open, breathing in the life of Christ, 
the name of Jesus, breathing out the name of Jesus. Breathing in the name of Jesus and out the name of Jesus. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. We confess, Lord Jesus, that we live unsustainable lives that are fixed on other distracting things. And we confess that the suffering in our world is part of our anxious rush, our greed, our lust, our panic, our over-busyness. We have not stopped to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have not stopped to heal our racism, to see our closed hearts. And in terms of the suffering of COVID-19, our whole culture is so busy and anxious. We set up unsustainable ways of living that eventually affect our health. We want to humble ourselves and pray so that you will heal our land. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. I do want to invite you to this online Zoom conversation. So if you have not already signed up for the information when we do announce the date and time that we'll be meeting with Father Laird, please find the website you'll find the sign up form there I hope wherever you are that you are finding more and more access to the trust and to hope and to the help of contemplative prayer and don't be shy in sharing this journey with Father Laird's a sunlit absence with a friend it's never too late Amen bye bye